some of the best and worst money decisions are made because of certain belief systems that are held by all of us. So what do we do when our relationship with money isn't quite like it should be? Let's find out together. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. So excited to have you all here. I've said it once, and I've probably said it a thousand times, George Kinder is the godfather of life planning and the king of behavioral finance topics, like the book he wrote on the seven stages of money maturity. And you might remember way back, Taylor and I talked about the three kinder questions for achieving an ideal life around the time that the podcast started. And if you don't, or you missed it, I suggest checking it out. But there is a reason he's tied into my podcast with my own philosophies and literally everywhere else. With George, we get to discover what it means to develop emotional wisdom by first acknowledging we need to make some changes. However easy this sounds, can people really change their behavior around money? Now, to lighten this up before we jump in, I just heard a joke from a client of ours and it made me laugh. Of course, it's a quote unquote dumb dad joke, as Taylor would call it, but I want to tell it to you anyways because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. How did Harry Potter get down the hill? Walking. JK, rolling. All right. I know that was a corny joke, but I liked it and it made me laugh. But let's jump in with the godfather of life planning, George Kinder, and find out the answer to can people really change their behavior around money? George, thank you so much for being on the show. I am fanboying over here. I'm so excited to have you here. Wonderful. And likewise, Ryan. Everyone has heard your name probably 10,000 times on this show because I refer to you as the godfather of life planning and all these great things when we talk the ideal schedule and the three questions that my wife and I did actually on the show in an abbreviated kind of version a, a while back after I got back from your five-day training. What we haven't talked on is the seven stages of money maturity. And this is something you've written a book on, you've done a lot of speaking on. I would really kind of like to dive into the seven stages, if you will. So the seven stages of money maturity was my first take on what's happening for people in money in their lives, basically. How how do we grow up around money? How do we make really great decisions for ourselves? And how is it that we make some pretty foolish ones as well? The book was written in 1999. The thinking began almost a decade before that. It was designed for the consumer. The book was designed for the consumer. And I did a two-day workshop that's now been taken by thousands of uh, financial advisors all over the world in 30 countries. The origin of the ideas came from working with my clients back in the old days and talking with financial advisors who had good relationships with their clients and we're also wrestling with this question of how do we grow? How do we not make foolish mistakes? And how do we really come into the person we really want to be in the world and get money to support that? So that's the frame for it. There are seven stages that I identify. They come from many different traditions. I kind of 
pulled together traditions of contemporary psychology. I went back to world religions. I looked at philosophical ideas about stages of growth and all of that, and gathered them together into seven stages that have three groupings. The first grouping is what I call childhood and follows the old Freudian. Of course. Childhood is where we set up our problems. And there I talk about what I call innocence and what I call pain. It's the area where we make terrible, naive, foolish decisions around money, or we get reactive and attached around money. So innocence represents our naive belief systems, which all of our belief systems actually are, but our belief systems around money that get in our way, that are not complete, not holistic, belief systems that are inevitably partial and incomplete. And so it could be that you want to save for a rainy day, or someone else might think that they want to live for the moment. There are many versions that can lead to miserly activity or can lead to greedy, reactive responses to the stock market and to choosing inappropriate investments and inappropriate advisors and an inappropriate lifestyle in some way. So that's mm-hmm. innocence, the message. And then pain is the feeling or the feelings that come up around money that get us into trouble. So it's largely the dark feelings, jealousy, envy, anger, sadness, fear, frustration, humiliation, shame, those kinds of anxiety. What the purpose of the seven stages is, is in the next phase, the next three stages is the adult phase. The purpose of the seven stages is to work through our inappropriate belief systems and our, or unfortunate belief systems and our painful relationship to money that causes us to react rather than to be intelligent around it. Mm-hmm. So let me pause there for a minute and see if I'm on target, Ryan. Yeah, this is like. this is beautiful, George. So can these beliefs or limiting beliefs be changed or altered over time? Absolutely. But I think the more powerful focus, there's multiple answers to that. And they all have aspects that are pulled out in the adult phases. But I think the most powerful thing is not so much changing the belief systems, but that can be done. I mean, cognitive psychology, for instance, is probably the most famous practical way of changing belief systems. I think what's even more powerful, Ryan, is developing emotional maturity. So really going after the emotions, I think, is actually more powerful than going after the beliefs. And my book teaches a lot about that. And I wrote a follow-up book that's a kind of a, a meditative or mindfulness book on transforming suffering into wisdom. So you can see the frame there of that transformational process. So there's a, a meditative frame to a practice that will consistently and significantly over time diminish our beliefs, our attachment to our beliefs, and increase our ease in the midst of difficult feelings. I teach that in the meditation book, mindfulness book, but the basic mantra for it is to learn to let your thoughts go and let your feelings be. And that's a beautiful practice of wisdom, and it can be done in your private moments. There are all kinds of ways of doing it, and both books deal with that. I remember in our five-day that there was a lot of guided meditation, and that was one of the first times I'd ever tried meditation. I still feel like I'm trying every day when I do it. Some days I do forget, unfortunately. 
uh, life somehow gets in the way and I run out of time and things to do. And I know those are technically excuses, but George, I'm curious because you do so much of this and it, as you say, it helps you develop emotional wisdom through meditation. Do you have any tips for those that maybe want to try meditation and to experience that first time, but without it being guided by George Kinder? Well, my book of introduction, Transforming Suffering into Wisdom, has 80 different exercises in it. And it's a very wow. gentle and easy. So every exercise is a page or two. So it's really, really simple. In addition, there are apps that are out there that people swear by. I haven't been on them, but I think Headspace is the most familiar one that's spoken about most in the press. Mm -hmm. When people ask me what I recommend around meditation or around mindfulness, I say, if you aren't doing it, you should start doing it. And I recommend doing it 20 minutes a day would be a great beginning. And if you are doing it already, I say just very simply double the amount of time that you're doing it. Uh, because it's phenomenal in terms of what it will do. It will increase your focus at work. It will give you greater ease in everything you do. There are studies that show that it increases the length of your telomeres, which as physicians, you know, means that you're likely to have greater longevity from it. It reduces stress. There's a study that shows that it increases your GRE scores or your SAT scores by 15 to 30%, just a six-week course. So miracle things in a way, but I've done it for 50 years, Ryan, and I do it a lot. I do it several hours a day mm -hmm. and I owe everything to it. It's just, it's just phenomenal what it delivers. That's amazing. So I didn't mean to break the train of thought here on, on the seven stages. So let's jump back into there. I believe we talked about the childhood stages and now we were transitioning into the adult stages. The childhood stages are the frame for how we kind of get stuck or struggle or find ourselves in an unfortunate situation. The adult phase has three stages. The first is knowledge. The second is understanding. And the third is vigor. And by knowledge, I mean, really, uh, Ryan, what you do, what it's knowledge of how money works. It's having a real strong financial planning understanding and a really great understanding of assets and investments. Within that are also the three questions that I know you've talked about, because mm -hmm. part of knowledge is also our self-knowledge. If we are going to deliver a great financial life for ourselves, it means what we've really delivered is a great life for ourselves. So the first element of that is really knowing who you are and going through the three questions and the other exercises in the life planning uh, books and websites that are out there and figuring out what your trajectory is. So knowledge has all of that in it. And, you know, as a, again, as a physician, one of the dangers that I found with the doctors that were in my, um, among my clients back in the old days was that the doctors I had were so smart that very often they thought they could figure all of these things out for themselves and it was extremely rare that they could. So as a consequence, they ended up making decisions that were often not the wisest decisions, often coming from reading periodicals that were largely controlled by product companies. So for instance, we think the Wall Street Journal is a great periodical, and I still read it, but it's basically, it's Wall Street, it's not, it's, mm -hmm. which is a place where they sell, where they transact, as opposed to really being client-centered. So part of this adult phase is understanding that you should be the center of your financial plan, 
not the money, but you yourselves. So the second phase, the first phase is just knowledge. And there I recommend, I mean, there are many ways to gain knowledge. Reading is great, but having a great advisor really helps. The second stage in this phase is understanding. And that's really the place of healing the wounds of being driven by frustration, by anxiety, by despair, by depression, by anger, so that we aren't reactive. It's really the gem of the model, because in that area, I talk about how we bring greater heart into our lives and into our way of being. And it's a lot about the meditative practice of letting thoughts go and letting feelings be. And a lot of it has to do with the courage of meeting our feelings. The final stage in the adult phase is what I call vigor, and it's vitality, it's energy. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're not living your life plan. If you're not really engaged in a way that feels tremendously fulfilling and authentic to you, there's something awry in your life plan. And so in Vigor, what we do is we we discover and then we make it the driver. What the driver is, we, we call it keeping your eyes on the prize. And it's really discovering your greatest meaning and purpose. And it's back to the three questions and why you're here, what you want, really want to deliver into the world. And it may be as much about your kids and your, your partner or your spouse, or it may be about playing jazz in a nightclub. It may not all be about being a physician necessarily. If you don't have that vigor and vitality, it's something you want to look at and make sure that you bring it. It's not something to sacrifice. It's what brings us fully alive. So those are the three adult phases. Mm -hmm. And vigor is, I think, one of the most powerful ones. And you said it perfectly, and I don't want to butcher it here, but I think it was, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're not living out your life plan. That is what is honestly fueled our entire financial planning practice. Because once I started to go through and understand what it is that I wanted, and I had a good idea and a good sense of it, but after going through all the training with you guys, I realized this is really what I want. And I quadrupled down in it and I absolutely love what we're doing. That's what we're trying to, when we work with clients, to have them transform their life into what is that that piece that they're most passionate about. I find a lot of times that it's there's something along with medicine that they're extremely passionate. Obviously, going through all the training, delayed gratification, and all the stuff that it took to get to become a physician, if you weren't super passionate about it, it is very tough to do that even when you are. But I tend to find that they're passionate about two things, and it's usually medicine and something. I'm really trying to help, and the team's really trying to help them live out that life plan and that ideal schedule or ideal life that they have. That's fantastic, Ryan. And I know with the physicians that I had, it was very much the same. And often because of the constraints of medicine, particularly when you're in residency and everything, the time constraints are so ludicrous and inhumane, mm -hmm. frankly, that it's very difficult to keep that something else really alive. And all the more important as you really become a physician to find what it is and claim it and claim it with your partners, claim it in your communities. And that was one of the most exciting things for me was seeing physicians come alive and say to their partners who wanted them to work full time, no, I'm going to work four days a week and um, work that out. And it, it was tough at times, but we tried to help them find allies and structures that would give them those kinds of freedoms. Once you do that and they, and they really find it themselves, you're just giving them a framework. And when they find it, 
That's where that vigor comes in. That's when the passion comes out. And then you know they're going to be successful because they've caught the bug, right? They're really jazzed. They're really into it. And you can just see the transformation. It's fascinating being coached by you guys to see that. You're talking about this is that the medicine comes alive. When you feed them the jazz in the nightclub or being a cantor in the synagogue or writing the great American novel, when they are given that extra something, the medicine comes alive. They feel like they're in the right place and doing the right thing. And it's not so much of a chore or, or they're not so burdened by it. Well, our last stage is one of my favorite because it's one of my favorite places to go and it's their language. But why don't you you tell us what the last stage of this is? So the last phase I call maturity or awakening, and there's actually two stages within it. One of them I call vision, and the other I call aloha. Mm -hmm. And most doctors find one way or another to find their way to Hawaii at one point or another. Aloha means the passing of a blessing from one person to another, regardless of uh, economic difference. So it's one of the beauties. It's one of the things that often brings people into medicine, as it brings the best of us into the financial world, that we want to do something very special for people one-on-one or with a couple or with children. We want to do something very special. And that's that aloha phase. And the vision phase, which comes before it, is doing something larger for the community. It's seeing what's needed in the community and and making it happen. And again, it might be something around medicine or on changes that need to occur in medicine. Now, of course, we can have global communities with our social media, but it can also be creating a little plot of green in the dense inner city that we live in. There are many different ways that community comes out. Speaking of global communities, and as we kind of round out this, thank you for being on the show, for giving us some of your time. It is such a a pleasure to have you here, but you're working on some really cool stuff. So why don't you tell us what you're up to now? (laughs) It's very exciting, Ryan. I, I burst into a grin and I get all energized just thinking about it. And it is global. I've just written a book called A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness. And I'm on world tour. I just came back from Mumbai, Tokyo, Singapore, and Hong Kong, of all places, where I was talking about participative democracy. I was talking about a new way of understanding mindfulness to these cultures that really started much of the contemplative traditions of the world. It was a real privilege to be there. But the main thing I'm talking about is freedom. And everything that I'm doing in this work is coming out of the life planning frame that you and I talked about when we last were together at the five-day, the Evoke Mm -hmm. five-day, the frame for life planning, which is great listening and then an inspired vision and then solving all the obstacles. So my my notion coming out of the uh, banking crisis of 2008 and coming out of this crisis that many of us have felt is happening Uh, to our democracy all over the world, challenges to democracy and movements toward autocracy or toward limiting the press or limiting various freedoms. My whole focus has been on expanding freedom. What I realized as I thought about the financial crisis and the political crisis was that the principles of life planning could be applied to our global community, could be applied to the world and applied in a very powerful way. The way that I'm thinking of it is that, I mean, there's no reason that we have corruption. I mean, no idealistic reason, no reason that we would really want. There's no reason for war. 
There's no real reason to endanger the planet. There's no reason for real reason, strong reason. If we're trying to craft a golden civilization, a great civilization, there's no reason for distrust or cynicism. So my thought was, just like in life planning, what we do is we ask the client and help facilitate with the client, the client coming up with their great dream for their life. And then going, well, which do you want? What you've got now or the dream? And when they say they want the dream, then all the obstacles seem to fall away. So my thought, and I've been traveling the world doing this, and we've now had well over 100 conversations on five continents, and I've only been party to 40 of them. So we're spreading a movement of conversations. My thought is, let's life plan the world right now. Why don't we deliver the world that we really want In this generation, in our lifetime, why don't we deliver a world that doesn't have corruption, that solved the problems of war or the earth crises or the democratic crises or immense inequalities? Why don't we solve that now and come all together and make it happen? And it sounds ludicrously quixotic and and idealistic, but what happens when you gather a group together and you simply ask them to vision, what would the world look like if we had a golden civilization? Imagine a thousand years out and tell me what it looks like, whether you're in Hong Kong or Mumbai, whether you're in the heart of Africa or in Europe or in Japan, you find that the same vision comes out, that everybody wants a world where kindness is predominant, where we collaborate, where we have great vitality, where there's a lot of creativity, where there's care for our children, where basic needs are met. And so my thought is using life planning, well, if we all want that, let's go for it. Let's make it happen. And let's do it in this generation. And let's gather together groups that are ongoing, that gather together maybe once a month or every few weeks, and begin to bring them together from all over the world with this purpose that within a single generation, we create a golden civilization uh, using the skills that come from life planning. That's so powerful. I love it so much. Life planning the world. I feel like we're doing our small part of, you know, helping our clients as honestly, as well as ourselves in life planning and living out that ideal life. But we will continue to spread the message and share. And I'll make sure that everyone has links to all the amazing things that you're working on. And some of the things that George mentioned, you can go to his site and actually walk through. You don't have to work with us to do it. You can go do it on your own and walk through some of these, the ideal lives and schedules and all that kind of great stuff. You know, I think George, I'm going to do a giveaway with your newest book because I'm, I'm just so pumped that you are out here doing it. And I think that the audience would love to be able to do it. So I'll make sure I link to everything. And I think we'll do a book giveaway around the launch of this podcast as well. Oh, Ryan, thank you so much. It's so kind of you and good wishes to everybody you're working with. I loved working with physicians in my practice and I envy you your your ongoing work with them. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that was awesome. It is now our time for the recap. Here are the three takeaways I'd love for you to walk away with by listening to the interview with George. Takeaway number one, George gave us insight in the seven stages of money maturity towards the beginning of the show, including how to work through the belief systems that would otherwise hold us back from making sound choices. This is what he had to say. 
I think the more powerful focus, there's multiple answers to that. And they all have aspects that are pulled out in the adult phases. But I think the most powerful thing is not so much changing the belief systems, but that can be done. I mean, cognitive psychology, for instance, is probably the most famous kind of practical way of changing belief systems. I think what's even more powerful, Ryan, is developing emotional maturity. So really going after the emotions, I think, is actually more powerful than going after the beliefs. Our second takeaway is while we all know meditation is good to help us become centered with our own emotions from the daily stressors of life, George says we can also increase our emotional wisdom with our finances. Here's more of what he meant. When people ask me what I recommend around meditation or around mindfulness, I say, if you aren't doing it, you should start doing it. And I recommend doing it uh, 20 minutes a day would be a great beginning. And lastly, usually when working with our clients, we try to find out what their ideal life looks like. What we see is a trend that as most physicians is that they're passionate about medicine in some way. Of course you are. You had to go through a ton to get there. And George said that's why it's even more important to make your passion more about coming alive. And he said this. It's very difficult to keep that something else really alive. And all the more important as you really become a physician to find what it is and claim it. Now, something you probably won't hear in the doctor's lounge, I wanted to cover one digestible tip that'll help you increase your financial acumen and maybe even cause you to take some type of action with your finances. Now, when faced with the choice of relaxing, maybe spending time with the family versus a chance to work on your personal finance goals, I'm willing to bet that most of you are going to pick the more leisurely choice, let's call it. And I don't blame you, but setting aside time to work on your personal plan is necessary component of financial management. Heck, some of you might not even have any goals yet, and that's totally cool. But the truth is, Getting started working towards those goals is the hardest part. As a physician, you probably have a mountain of student debt, a mortgage, and really probably even a family to raise. How do you even know where to begin to start tackling your goals of debt repayment or just saving for the future? And the answer is really quite simple. You just get started. That's it. There's no other way to put it than to tell you all you have to do is just get started. Get the ball rolling. Whether it means you can put $50 a month towards savings or pay an additional $20 towards credit card debt, it's okay because you just have to start somewhere. Eventually, your salaries will increase or you're going to receive bonus checks and then you can make decisions on what to do with these larger amounts. But getting started with the small steps is the great place to start. For our quick community update, I'm really pumped to talk about this next piece because I know how much it will benefit all of you. After all, the podcast exists to really educate you on the important money topics. But what if you could create a financial plan on your own? Would you do it? I sure hope so. And that's where the financial fellowship comes in. Now, I sent out an email to all thousands of subscribers on Saturday telling them all about the financial fellowship and all the cool stuff that'll be happening when it launches. And if you didn't get an email from me, you aren't on our list. And that's okay. You don't have to join if you don't want to. But if you want super cool updates like that one and so much more other fun content that I put out, you really need to get on it. 
So all you need to do is to sign up by going to the link in the description of this episode that you're listening to me right now, click on the button and sign up. If you are on a desktop and listening, you can go to financialresidency.com slash subscribe and get on the list. So you're probably sitting here thinking like, the heck is Financial Fellowship? Well, Financial Fellowship is a membership community intended to help physicians and their spouses build their own financial plan and be able to discuss, share, and learn how to achieve financial independence. I'll be launching this membership community in early December with a really small group of founding members, probably honestly as small as 25 people. There's going to be so many perks to being a founding member, and one of them is the price lock for life. Lots more information is coming, but I just wanted to share this with you all because it was really, really fun to do and build, and I'm so excited to launch this. So if you're interested in becoming a founding member and you didn't see Saturday's email, make sure you subscribe to the email by clicking again that link in the description of this episode that you're listening to me in. And I'll shoot you over a specific email on what Financial Fellowship is and more about what is included so you can create your own custom financial life plan as well. Next Monday, I will be discussing narrowing down investment choices with the awesome David Stein from the Money for the Rest of Us podcast. And it's a super fun show. He is so smart. It was just a pleasure to hang out with him. So I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you all on Wednesday. Cheers. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You didn't want to hear the disclaimer, did you? All right. I get it. Please don't just end the show. This is really, really important. I know it's not very fun to listen to, but you need to understand this information because the reality is I've got to tell you about the reasons why you shouldn't take what you learn here at face value. I mean, it's great and all uh, to give you perspective on personal financial matters, but I really can't give you any specific information without your data in front of me. And even if it is in front of me, like our Friday financial health assessments that Casey and I do, I still only know what you record, not all the details. So instead of running with what you've learned here, be sure to either reach out to a fee-only financial planner, join our financial fellowship, or consult someone who knows you personally that can give you great advice like a CPA.